0: Welcome to another episode of Making It to the Mic. I'm your host, Stephanie Pam Roberts, and today I'll be chatting with the one and only Karin Guilfrey. Karin is a force in the voiceover community, not only in front of the mic where she can be heard in commercials, e-learning, corporate narration, and more, but as a community leader through her work in the Voice Actors of NYC Facebook group and co-founder of the eVocation voiceover conference. In this episode, we touch on a lot of important topics topics that not many people like to talk about, like FICOR, which if you don't know what that means, don't worry, she'll explain. And also the results of an amazing survey she created that over 1,200 voice actors filled out, as well as her thoughts on how to audition. So let's jump in. Here's my conversation with Karin Guilfrey. Hello, Karin Guilfrey. How are you today? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I feel like no podcast series is complete without an interview from you, so I'm I'm so happy to have you.
1: <laughs> well, I'm very happy to be a part of it.
0: So, how did you make it to the mic? What was your voiceover journey, and what did you do before you started
1: VO? So, I was an opera singer, but before that, I was, you know, a theater kid, a drama kid. My dad's an opera singer, too, and so in my family, Everyone was either a performer or a teacher. And I feel like a teacher is like a kind of performer. (laughs) So basically, you were a performer or you were a performer. And uh, yeah, when I was little, I wanted to be a whale trainer, but I realized that was probably not going to work out for me. Um, And then I wanted to do musical theater. But I kind of got into classical singing by chance because there was a competition at my high school and the prize money was a $100, which was like so much money as a 14-year-old. And there was no one who'd signed up for the classical category. And so I was like, my dad's a singer. I could learn an aria and maybe win that competition. So I got second place um, and I got fifty dollars, but I thought that was very cool, and so I started taking more voice lessons and learning more arias and then once I got to my senior year in high school, I realized that i that I loved it, and so I went to school for opera singing um and i I uh sang for a few years, and then I got to the point where it just wasn't fulfilling to me. And the pressure when you're an opera singer is just so intense. You ha- it's like being a professional ballet dancer in that you have to be so on top of your game, so on top of your technique. You have to constantly coach. You have to constantly practice every day. It's a lot of travel. And I just was not happy in opera. I wasn't as happy as I thought I was going to be. So I decided to try uh, audiobooks first. Because I had a friend who was doing audiobooks who was also a singer, and I thought, oh, that's cool. Hmm. So I built a little home studio, and I got my USB mic, and I hit the ground running, and I took a bunch of classes, and and then it just kind of blossomed from there. I I realized that I loved everything about voiceover, not just the acting part, but being my own boss, negotiating my own contracts, the auditions. Um, the community, just everything about it just made me feel so excited. And so, yeah, here we are now. That's amazing. I I love that you started in audiobooks, like the
0: hardest, most (laughs) time-consuming part of voiceover. I feel like so many people that have been on the podcast have said that they either don't do or have never done or only have done one audiobook And or they started in commercials or, you know, something kind of a little more of a easier gateway. So what made you get into audiobooks? It was just because your friend had done
1: it? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I don't actually really like doing audiobooks either, but I still do them. And I've done probably close to 200 now in my career. Oh, my gosh. They are a marathon. But the thing about audiobooks, especially for someone who's first starting, is that It is a lot of time behind the mic, sitting with yourself, acting, making choices on the fly. You can't analyze what you did too much because if you analyzed what you did for like a 10-hour book every single time you made a choice, you would never, ever, ever get the book done. Hmm. So you read the book in advance, obviously. You make notes if you like making notes. And then you just act the whole thing as you're reading it. And the choice that you make is the choice that you make. And I think that that has influenced every other kind of voiceover I do so much because I just let it go. Whatever it is, that's what it's going to be. I send it off to the client. If they love it, great. If they don't like it, then I might redo something. If they find a mistake, fine, I'll I'll go back and correct the mistake. But I treat it much more like live performance, maybe because I, I started as a live performer. Hmm. But audiobooks, for me, really gave me the foundation uh, of learning how to record myself and how to talk into a mic.
0: Yeah, because you're right. There's just so much time involved that it's just practice as you go.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you do a five-hour book, say, it, it typically takes, when you're starting out, it takes about five hours of work per finished hour of book. So by the time you finish that five-hour book, you have 25 hours behind the mic under your belt. Wow. And that includes, like, learning how to edit. That includes, you know, it's just, you just learn so much. And if you're doing a 30-second commercial, you might get paid the same amount of money, but, or you might get paid a lot more money, but you only have, you know, maybe 30 minutes or 1 hour behind the mic when you do that commercial. And when you're first starting out, it's just so important to put in those hours and just get really good at your craft and and the craft includes recording and editing, too.
0: So once you kind of got a bunch of audiobooks under your belt, what was the next kind of genre place
1: that you found yourself in voiceover? I started, you know, on online casting sites, so it was basically whatever was on the online casting sites I auditioned for. So I ended up doing a lot of uh, explainer videos and corporate videos and e-training. And then I booked a few big commercial campaigns. I was the national spokes voice of zoolily.com for like five years, which was pretty fun. Uh, they didn't pay anywhere near what they should have, but <laughs> it was really fun. Um, to get on TV in those commercials. It was a brand that people kind of knew, especially if you're a mom. So yeah, I mean, it, that was fun. And, and I, as I started doing more commercials, I realized that I just really love doing commercials. So I was a voice actor with a full career and a full client list and supporting my family through online casting sites and direct marketing. Uh, Back to clients that I'd worked with before and doing audiobooks, fully supporting myself before I ever had an agent. And so I've always approached voiceover as a business and as like a freelance artist in the same way that a a professional photographer is an artist, but they have a business. Mm. They have their equipment. They know how to edit photos, you know. So and that's the part of it that I really love, too. I mean, I love working with my agents. And my, and my managers. They are fantastic. And it's so great to have them as part of my team. But I, I still do all the stuff that I did before.
0: I love that analogy. I've, I've never thought of it that way that that's such a perfect like side by side analogy that a photographer is an artist and they're creating something and they're, you know, being employed by tons of different types of people. They might do a brand photo shoot. They might do a wedding or, a, you know, an event. And they still have to know how to do all the technical stuff and they still have to know how to get themselves out there. I love that analogy.
1: Yeah. I mean, and and there are photographers that are employed by magazines. There are photographers that are just newborn photographers, <laughs> you know? Right. Like there's so <laughs> many different kinds. There are people who are just, you know, nature photographers or even like, you know, war and conflict photographers. There are so many different kinds of photography. And there are people who are corporate photographers who all they do is take headshots of of your company at the beginning of the year so that you all get a new employee ID, you know. And the corporate photographer might not be doing newborn shoots, or they might, right? And it's the same as it's the same as in voiceover. We have video game voice actors. We have people who focus on corporate narration and e-learning. We have people who are, do, do animation. There are people who do commercials. There are people who do a little bit of of all of those things. It's you're always talking behind a mic and you're recording yourself for the most part so that skill set is the same but the different nuances of the different genres are very different and some people find that they are really a lot better at one than the other and that's great and fine. I've actually never done an audiobook. It is a marathon. (laughs) It's like knitting a blanket.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've, I've crocheted a few baby blankets, but never a full blanket. I think this is a theme that I just uh, haven't done. I haven't dove into the big projects.
1: It takes a long time. It takes a long time. But, but I mean, there are great things about it, too. The work is very consistent. You can work kind of whenever you want because you're basically given a book and a deadline. And whatever time of day you can fit that recording into, you do it then. So if you're a mom, like you and I, and your kid takes a nap, you can record for an hour during nap time, and then they go to sleep, and you record, you know, for a few hours when they're asleep. And the rest of the day, you can be a mom. Or if you have a day job, whereas doing documentary narration or commercials or any kind of voiceover where you have to have a live directed session, that usually happens, you know, not whenever you can fit it in. It's like a Specific time. And so it's a little bit more rigid.
0: And more during, you know, kind of normal business hours.
1: Yeah. And the work is not as consistent. It, well, it, sometimes it is, but it, it can be not as consistent. You can book one commercial campaign and you're like, great, I got this commercial. And now they hired someone else to do the next one.
0: Yeah, it's true. The thing that I loved about the online casting sites in the before times and, you know, even when I joined a while ago, is is that element that most of those jobs back in the day were just Congrats, here's your job. Do it and send it back to us in the next two days. And I liked that even before I became a parent, I loved that I could still like, you know, do whatever I wanted to do during the day. I could still teach theater if I wanted to, and then I could come back and do my jobs. Now I feel like even the online casting sites since COVID hit are requiring or requesting a, a directed session, which I do love. I love the, the collaboration of being on the phone with somebody and then everybody gets what they want right away and you don't have to go back and forth a hundred times.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, often I'm in a session and people are giving me direction and it's taking, you know, four hours out of my day and I just think... <laughs> You could have just sent me this script and I could have sent you back eight takes to choose from, and we would have had the exact same result. (laughs) That's probably not true of every voice actor that they work with.
0: Yes. You know, starting your career in online casting sites, you know, do you feel like that also kind of gave you a boost in terms of just practice?
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. Because online casting sites, you really do better when you audition more. And the more you audition, the less invested you become in each audition, which frees you up more because you're not emotionally attached. So if I were to only audition from, uh, for the jobs that I get from my one New York agent, right? Or my, my agent that is just New York and L.A., I would audition probably five to 10 times a week. So each of those auditions, I would really, really remember. And I would think, am I going to book this? Am I going to book this? Or I would see the audition and I would be like, oh, I need to book this one. It's going to be so okay. All right. Let me do my read. Every day we make the world a better place. Right. And, and like, y- you can like hear the desperation in my voice that I really want to book this job. But Combined between my agents, my managers, my agent in Chicago, and online casting sites, I do typically like five to twenty auditions a day. When you do that many, you just feel so much more freedom to be able to play and to be, be able to just be yourself and to be more authentic because you're not so desperate. You're not you're like, not even remembering all the auditions that you did. <laughs> Sometimes I see a commercial on TV. And I think, oh, wait, did I, is that me? No, 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 that's not me. I just did the audition. That's why I remember it,
0: you know? Sometimes I look up the commercials from previous auditions. Like if it's a really slow day, I'll go back and I'll see like, what was an audition from three months ago and see actually who booked it? Was it somebody that sounds just like me and then I feel really bummed? Or was it like they went with a man who has a, you know, bass, baritone voice?
1: Or there was a recent audition that went out to all of us for uh, the Masterclass series. And then they ended up choosing Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> you know, and I feel OK with that. <laughs> I feel OK with that, too. That's fine. Gordon Ramsay has had a tough year with all of his restaurants closing.
0: He, he could he could use some VO work.
1: He could use some VO work.
0: So what is your audition process? I, I remember uh, a while ago you posted a video in the Voice Actors of NYC Facebook group, which we'll get to that was like a, a five minute video of, of like a real time showing of how you do audition. So I would love for the listeners to know because I think it's um I think it's fantastic. I don't know if it's for everybody, but for someone who's, you know, been at it for a long time and who has the chops, I think uh, it's it was super interesting to watch. Yeah.
1: So for me, because I'm a live performer, you know, you can do a lot of preparation in advance and then get up on stage and do your thing and it's great. But I also really love the spontaneity of just seeing a script, reading through it quickly in your head, reading the specs, imagining what they want, and then just recording your first take. I audition very quickly and very often. And I tend to just kind of go, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. If they like my voice, great. If they don't, I have, you know, 17 other auditions that I'm going to do today and that's okay and this doesn't work for everyone, but for me, analyzing every single audition, if I did that for 15 or 20 auditions in a day, I would never leave my booth or have any time to do any other work. So I tend to open up the script, look at the specs, read through it once in my head, take a breath, hit record, read it. If I I make a mistake, obviously I stop and go back. Or if I just that it sounds terrible, then I'll stop and go back. But I often send my first two takes and I don't really listen back to them. I I know if it felt good and uh, if it didn't feel good, I'll record another one and I'll send the one that felt the best. But I typically audition very fast. I do what feels natural to me and then I send it off and move on to the next one.
0: (laughs) There's something to be said for that amount of being unattached and just like you were saying, just sort of not getting stuck in your head about it. And I think especially a lot of new people may not be able to or may not be ready to trust their instincts quite like that yet. But it's, it's kind of fun to know that that's something to work towards, you know, to give yourself that freedom.
1: And I think it, it's really about being authentically you, you know, like your voice sounds different from mine. If they're looking for you, they're going to hire you. If they're looking for me, they're going to hire me. There's no one who can be Karin, and there's no one who can be Stephanie. We are our own individual people. So, th- your energy and your history and your um, read will be different from mine, and our voices are just different. So, it's not. It's sometimes not even the read. It's just. It's just. Are you what they had in their head when they thought of this commercial, or am I what they thought of in their head when they thought of this commercial? The read is almost. I mean, I don't want to say it's secondary, but if you just do you, if you just are yourself, then they can take it or leave it, you know? And that's that's how it goes. Yeah. It's not personal, you know? Totally.
0: I remember watching that video and thinking, I am spending way too much time on every audition. <laughs> what am I doing? And I tried. It was, it was a, a fun experiment to, like, over the next week or so, be like, I'm going to audition like Karin today and see what happens. And to be honest... I don't remember whether or not I booked any of those jobs during the experiment, yeah. but it was very freeing to go in and be like, whatever comes out, comes out. I'm going to listen back and think yes or no and send it off. Yeah, And I think especially sometimes on the online casting sites, because some of those auditions after a while, it's like the same, like the corporate jobs and like those tech type products. The scripts are really similar. Right. Yes. And I don't know how much variation there can be when you're talking about some of those things. So to be freed of that was was even like a step up for me to be able to to just go in and be like, they're probably gonna hire someone who, you know, they, they probably want the read to sound like this. I'm gonna do that and away it goes. And you know, that
1: doesn't work for everyone. A lot of people really, really feel more comfortable if they sit and analyze it and break it into parts and read it. And it and If that works for you and you have time to do that, then absolutely you do what works for you. We all have different processes. I am not a person who analyzes things in general in my life. (laughs) I'm like the kind of person who, if my husband was like, hey, want to take the kids to Vegas tonight? I would be like, yes, let's get in the car. (laughs) They'd be like, wait, who's going to watch our dogs? I don't know. I'm sure they'll be fine. (laughs) And that's where we differ. I would be
0: like, wait, well, how are we getting there? And how long is it going to take? And do we have enough food to pack? And do we have to stop at the grocery store? I'm a total overanalyzer, which does bog me down sometimes in the business for
1: sure. Well, see, not being an overanalyzer cannot, can be terrible, too, like when you neglect your dogs because you decided to get in the car and go to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> it's every every way of being has its pros and cons.
0: Yeah, so, do you spend any more time on like the agent auditions or a manager audition, or like a you know if they send you
1: something and they're like, "This is a major campaign or a you know i I try not to I try to treat everything the same um because again, and as, this is especially coming from opera, where like toward the end of my time singing, I started to get like really major performance anxiety because there was so much pressure, you know. And um, when you're in a school setting, you can make mistakes and you're supposed to make mistakes because you have teachers and mentors there who, who will help you be better and you can get better and better and better and better. But once you're in the professional world, you're expected to be, you know, at the top level. And if you make a mistake, it, it turns into like, well, do we really think that she can do this role for us next season? Oh, I don't know. And and there's just so much pressure. So I have tried really, really hard to push all of that away and get out of my head. And it doesn't matter if I'm auditioning for a new show on Nickelodeon or if I'm auditioning for a corporate video for a company that's based in Wichita. You know, I, I try to give the same level of dedication and the same level of care to everything um, and the same level of detachment because the more attached I become to something, I find the worse that I do because of the pressure aspect of it. So everything's easy breezy. Some you book, some you don't. Life goes on. You do more auditions. You contact your previous clients to be like, hey, loved working with you just wanted you to know I'm going to go out of town this weekend, so I won't be able to answer any of your emails. But if you have anything coming up and then they're like, oh, we just remembered that you worked for us again. We have work for you now. (laughs) Here you go. You know, (laughs) you just you just build your business and do what you can. And they come and they go and don't put too much pressure on yourself. That's what works for me anyway.
0: Yeah, I think that's important, especially when you do reach a level of getting auditions from your agent, because especially those first few auditions, it can feel like I have to do well. They just signed me or they just started working with me. And what do I do? And and yeah, I think I think that level of calm and and being able to just do your best and be
1: you is super important. I think that for me, having been a voice actor for like four years and a working consistently working like full time voice actor, for four years before I uh, got an agent, gave me a lot more confidence when it came to agent auditions because they sent me these auditions and and I was like, great, I know how to do this. I trust myself. Mm-hmm. If they like it, great. If they don't, whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're going to send me more than just one audition. So <laughs> yeah, I I think I think it really helped because I had a I had a feeling of confidence of like I do this for a living. This is my job. I've been doing this for a long time. I. I make a full living doing it. So, yeah, throw it, bring it on. Put me in, coach.
0: Yeah, I had a similar experience uh, when I reached out, started reaching out to agents and, and started working with my first agent as well. They were like, you have a lot of work. How? And I was like online casting sites. And they were like, what? <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I think there is value to that and to. Building up your not only your client list or your job list, but your own confidence. You're right. Like your internal confidence so that when you reach out to agents, you're coming from a place of like, I'm awesome.
1: Yeah. And I think it depends too, what kind of like who you are as a person. So right now, people of color and people who are, you know, non-binary genders or people who are foreign or. Like there are different things that are that um agents and managers don't have a lot of on their roster that are being requested more and more, so if you are one of those things and you submit to an agent, an agent might go, "Oh my God, we don't have this person on our list already. They're extremely talented. Let's sign them right away. Whereas if you're like you or me, and we're like kind of generic thirty something white ladies, there are a lot of us <laughs> so if you If you fit into the more generic voiceover category, you have to be kind of exceptional for agents to really consider you. And so it's really good to have a body of work to show them I've been working this whole time. And we, you know, if you send me auditions, I will definitely book through you as well, because look at how many people have already hired me. So it really depends on the individual And uh, some people might get representation before others. And, you know, even generic people get represented early sometimes. Um, It just depends on the situation.
0: So I'd love to talk about the Voice Actors of NYC Facebook group. How did it come about? Yes.
1: So there was an amazing uh, voiceover group on Facebook for New York City female voice actors, which was just so awesome. And um, when I had uh, my daughter, Mahalia, who will be four in next month, I thought, oh, well, actually, I should say first that my husband was working at another job and we were paying for a babysitter to come three hours a day uh, to take care of the baby so I could work. And we were paying her like basically the same amount that he was making at his other job. So it was kind of a wash (laughs) as far as income was concerned. (laughs) And he had a lot of experience in childcare. He loved his own daughter. And so he was like, you know what? I'm just going to quit and I will be a voice actor, too. He's an actor, by the way. He, he didn't just decide, like, as a random person that he was going to go into voiceover. But um, so when he did that, I thought, oh, there's no Facebook group where we can both be a part of it. And then I thought, is there a Facebook group just for New York actors? And there wasn't one. And so I thought, oh, someone should start that. And then I thought, well, I mean, if anyone's going to start it, it may as well be me so that some random terrible person doesn't start it. (laughs) So that's how Voice Actors of NYC was born. Now, it started as just kind of a New York City community group. But as the years went on, I had been kind of having like little social gatherings at my apartment, and like little pay what you can classes for me to teach people how to use online casting sites. And I thought, like, wow, well, we could totally do this for the community and have different teachers teaching for the group. And so we, um, uh, some friends of mine own a, own a nonprofit space place <laughs> um, in the village called Arts On Site, and. They have space for like up to 50 people. And so we, or maybe it's 70 people. I think it might be 70 people. I don't know. It's been so long since we had an in-person event. But we started doing classes and events at Arts on Site, and they were all donation-based. And then the group mission kind of changed. It became my goal to provide the New York community with as many free and donation-based classes and events as we could do. and. That's something that that uh, sag after does. They do a lot of free and donation or they do a lot of free classes at their offices, which is totally cool, but you can't go to them unless you're in the union and there are so many non-union voice actors um, who need that information too. so it became kind of a place for everybody to come and take classes and go to events and and then it then it was like kind of like I don't know. We became a community. We all know each other. We're friends. It's it's just been great. It's been awesome. It's so
0: it's such a generous thing that you did to not only to start it and just to take the reins, but to say, and part of the mission is to offer these classes to people who, you know, may not have access to other classes or may not have the budget for other classes. And I think that tone right off the bat sets the tone for the group. So I feel like a lot there's a lot of Facebook groups and Theater and, you know, voice acting aside, there's just a lot of Facebook groups and there's very, very few that have sort of the the lovely community feel that voice actors of NYC has. So do you think that that was just sort of a lucky break or do you think that that was kind of fostered by these, the, these this little mission?
1: So I think, first of all, it's really wonderful that so many of us in the group know each other like personally from real life because we have been to like our christmas party or (laughs) or like we've gone to the teach-a-thon and seen people there every time at the teach-a-thon or you know at these different events like once you get to know people in person i think it makes you a lot nicer to them online and willing to help them online because you have a personal connection Mm -hmm. all of the people in the group have done a really good job of shutting down the negativity when it happens, because it does happen. There are people who are like, you non-union voice actors are are ruining the industry, right? And, and then everyone has to kind of talk to that person and kind of put their hand on their shoulder and say like, hey, listen, I completely understand that you are in support of the union, and that's great. That is totally your thing. But there's a nicer way to say this. And there's a definitely a conversation to be had here that we can have without insulting each other and without getting so heated. And there are people who've had heated discussions like that who I've talked to on the phone or who other people have talked to on the phone. And they have come back weeks later because we, we almost never kick people out of the group. I would much rather talk to them and have the, and have them be incorporated into the into the fold of like okay your your opinion is valid but is, is there a nicer way for you to say it <laughs> but we've had people who've been so like spitting fire and then a few weeks later we have the same discussion and they say like well i understand your point of view here's my point of view and it just has turned into i don't know a place that that is different from other groups on the internet, because I think we we care about each other in a way that's different. It's super
0: supportive. It's, when I have a question, I'm always like, I'm gonna post that in the voice actors group first, before I post it anywhere else, because I know that the responses there will be from a place of empathy and from a place of, like, humanity, and and that there's there's really, like, no stupid questions, there's no beginner questions, everything feels, like, super supportive, even if the question has been asked. 5000 times like which is better voices.com or voice123 somebody always and sometimes it's me always says like hey there's a helpful search feature in this group if you use that you'll get yeah. the answer but there's no it's never like i always feel like the posts in there are well received and are are answered in a kind way which is so important
1: yeah i hope so and you know now we have we have a whole team of admins now who do a really good job of monitoring that and um so it's not just me anymore, which is kind of nice.
0: Thank goodness. <laughs> the single solo admin is, is uh, I don't envy you for, for taking that on.
1: I mean, in some ways, it's kind of, in some ways, it was nice because I could just make a decision and it would just be done right then. Whereas when you have a team, you have to be like, hey, guys, do you think it's okay if we do a class on April 10th and then people come back and they're like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. I don't think we have anything on the calendar. Do we have anything on the calendar? No, we don't. Okay, what kind of class is it going to be? Well, I was thinking corporate narration. Oh, well, actually, we just did a corporate narration class. And should it be recorded? No, it shouldn't be recorded. Yes, it should definitely be recorded. You know, so it's like we go we go back and forth. But in the end, I think we come to much better decisions than just me doing it on my own. Because, you know, I don't have all the answers. (laughs) It's a great team of people. Yeah, it's a great team of people. It's a great team of people.
0: So piggybacking off of that in in terms of wanting to offer these free and donation-based classes and having education to the community be such an important part, tell us about eVocation. It's come up on the podcast a couple of times, and, and I'm so happy to have kind of the information
1: from the source. Yes. So the vocation conference was the first version that we did which was in person in 2019 in New York City Um, and it was so much fun it was really the best the vocation conference is dedicated to just the business side of voiceover so there are no classes where someone will give you a script and you will read a commercial and they'll give you some feedback and then you read the commercial again there's nothing like that no performance all of the other stuff what we're talking about. So we're talking about online casting, direct marketing, working with agents, uh, negotiating your own contracts, the legal side of contracts, um, creating spreadsheets, uh, you know, to track your income, uh, your website, your demo. And it's all just every single business thing that you can think of in voiceover presented over a weekend and this year, last year was virtual. This year will be virtual again, June 11th through the 13th. What I loved about, what I loved about the conference last year is that we send, as part of the ticket price, we sent out um, swag bags to everyone. So everyone got physical things in the mail. <laughs> and then everyone kind of had the same stuff at home with them as we start as we started evocation. So it was a way to kind of feel yeah, it was a way to kind of feel connected to each other even though we weren't connected physically in real life.
0: Yeah, it was a really smart idea. It was super fun. How did you get Jamie Muffet on board?
1: Oh, well, so Jamie, you know, it's funny cuz now it's been so many years that Jamie and I have been friends that I feel like I don't even remember <laughs> how <laughs> we met. We basically decided to do this conference together. I think it was probably Jamie's idea, and he asked me if I would do it with him, and I said yes. But Jamie and I didn't know each other hardly at all, and we kind of connected. Uh, he had just said, like, I love what you're doing with Voice Actors of NYC. I'm gonna, He lives in Philadelphia. He said, I'm going to be in the city. Would you want to just meet up? He said, I I have I have this uh, podcast. I have this Philly group. Um, Do you want to just meet up and like talk? And that was before I had children. So I was like, yes, that sounds great. (laughs) I have time. (laughs) Now I don't have any time. But uh, yeah, we just really hit it off. And I have to say, Jamie is like one of the best people I've ever worked with in my life, as far as just pure business collaboration goes, he—he he and I have a really good dynamic. I think where we're both, we both really trust each other. We both really trust each other's instincts, and uh, he will say he will make a suggestion, and I'll say eh, I don't know about that, or I'll make a suggestion, and he'll say eh, I don't know about that, or we'll say yes, absolutely, let's do that. And we just, yeah, we've never been mad at each other. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and I feel like you guys balance each other out, too.
1: Yeah, because I'm kind of more crazy and he's, like, more reserved. Although I have to say, he suggested that we hire Suddenly Seymour, who is a drag performer who is absolutely incredible for our opening night party, which I just feel like that was just such a not-typical Jamie (laughs) suggestion. I was like, yes! If that's what you want, Jamie, we are doing it. That's incredible. Suddenly, Seymour, if
0: you're listening, thank you for the entertainment. Yes. So what can we expect from
1: the conference this year? It'll be similar. It'll be similar to the previous two years. It's still the business of voiceover. We have really amazing people coming to speak, um, some cool panels. It's going to be really cool. Is there any one panel that you're most excited about that might be new this year? I really, we haven't quite set it in stone yet, but I really want to do a panel on uh, union, non-union, and FICOR. I think that's something that even the union has told us. They, they came to the first vocation. Some, some people from uh, sag came to the first vocation. And they said, yes, we are on board. We would love to be part of this in some way. So I think this year might be the year where we do a panel that is focused on that. I think the industry has changed so much. There is a lot of misinformation um, that should be cleared up about becoming union, I think. Um, There are a lot of benefits to becoming union. uh, But there are a lot of people who only work non-union and have full, wonderful careers doing all non-union work and are really afraid that if they join the union, they have to give up all of their income. So I, that is something that I'm very excited about. Um, it's just a matter of getting the right people on the panel. We have a couple of, we have a couple of ideas, um, but we will, we will announce the fi- our final decisions on who's going to be on that panel uh, later.
0: So, yeah, speaking of that, for some of the listeners who may not know, so the, the union is SAG-AFTRA. And what is FICOR? FICOR?
1: FICOR is a decision that was made by the Supreme Court in the 70s that basically says if you disagree with the leadership of your union, you can designate yourself as financial core, which makes you a dues-paying non-member. So this is, this is applicable to all unions, but in sag specifically... People designate themselves FICOR so that they can legally do both union and non-union work, typically. Or they might disagree with the leadership of the union and that's why they're doing it. But um, often it's because you have a full non-union career and when you join, you decide, I can't only do union work. I need to keep my non-union clients and so I will designate myself FICOR. It means that um, you can't vote. You can't participate in any committees or meetings. You don't get screeners during award season. But you still get health insurance if you qualify. And you still get a pension if you qualify. What sag doesn't really publicize is that only last year, I think it was only about 12% of members of sag qualified for health insurance. And, and the same for pension. So it's a lot of people join the union thinking that they're going to get health insurance. And then they don't qualify for health insurance. Especially this last year, they um, raised the minimum amount to qualify for health insurance from I think it used to be seventeen thousand, and now it's around twenty-five thousand. So that was hard for everyone during a pandemic year yeah. to qualify. So the number of people who are getting health insurance this year is far less than ever in the history of SAGAFTRA. Wow. Um, so. It's it's tricky. It's a tricky situation.
0: And I know for those people who do some on-camera work as well, FICOR is a little less, uh, I mean, it's always frowned upon, quote-unquote, but it's it seems to be more frowned upon in that side of the industry, but in voiceover, it's, it's a little more prevalent.
1: Yeah, I mean, so a producer actually cannot find out if you're FICOR unless they specifically ask the union, is this person FICOR? What happens is you audition for a union job. If they want to hire you, they uh, have to go through what's called a station 12, where they um, figure out whether or not you're up to date on your dues and whether you're cleared to work. All that happens is they, they ask, uh, is this person cleared to work? And SAG-AFTRA comes back and says, yes, they're cleared to work, and that's it. They never find out if you're FICOR or full union or, or whatever. So it's a little bit more tricky if you, if you live in a right-to-work state, which is a state that doesn't require you to join SAG-AFTRA in order to do union work. But yeah, they, they, don't, they don't know. For the on-camera world, though, I can understand how being a part of the union is really, really important. Like you want your set to be safe. You don't want people to overwork you. You don't want to have, you know, working conditions and fees for working <laughs> that are super, super bad. And so the union protects against that. But for voiceover, it's a little bit different because most of us work from home. I don't have anyone like standing outside my office uh, making sure that we don't go over on a, on, <laughs> the, or if I'm recording on my own, making sure that I'm not spending more than three hours on one job. Um, (laughs) I don't have anyone keeping time, right? My booth is a very safe work environment. And if it's unsafe, that's probably my fault. So, you know, it's different and it's different for different genres of voiceover too. If I'm doing um, motion capture for a video game, that's a more dangerous scenario. Uh, If I'm in a video game session and they're asking me to do a lot of screaming, that's a dangerous scenario for my voice. If I'm doing animation and there's a lot of Screaming, or if I'm uh, doing animation and I need to be in the same room as the full cast, and they want everyone to go to a studio, that's a that's a different situation.
0: It is such a deep and tricky issue, and I think something that makes it trickier, and I hope the panel comes through, because something that makes it trickier is that nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah, and if they do want to talk about it, then there's a lot of opinions and a lot of heat that comes with that. So it's really hard to get a clear, unbiased picture of what your career could look like and what it all means without either somebody just being secretive and not wanting to to disclose that they are FICOR or you know in the Facebook groups let's say somebody asks like what's FICOR and all of a sudden it's like 750 comments right ranging from like FICOR is and then you know a you know candid explanation to like the the most negative spitting fire that could possibly be
1: yeah yeah I understand it all. You know, I understand that if you've been a union member for a long time and you have stood the line and not done easy non-union jobs and you have been fighting for your fellow actors to get health insurance and then you see these people like non-joining the union and still getting health insurance and a pension and still working union jobs and taking jobs from the actors who've who've you know, put their blood, sweat and tears into the union, like that sucks, you know, that that would make me really mad. But I also see the other side of like, this is what I do for a living. This is my business. And I don't want to give up my business to stand with a bunch of actors who I don't know. um, And with a union that doesn't make it easy to hire people, and that has kind of fallen behind on the internet. And so it's really hard. It's really hard. Ideally, I think we would all love for as much work to be union as possible. And it's it's m- my goal to do that in whatever way I can um, to kind of help SAGAFTRA if I can navigate the non-union landscape a little bit because they are not as familiar with it. And so much voiceover work is non-union. Yeah. Um. Ideally, we would all love to be union, and we would love for all the work to be union. So. Whatever we can do to make that happen, I think, is a, is a good, good thing.
0: Yeah. So tell us about your, um, your survey that you sent out, because I think that
1: kind of speaks to that. Right. So, so when I thought about the voiceover industry and how people just have this anecdotal evidence and these anecdotal uh, statistics, they say, like, 80 percent of the work is non-union. Uh, how do we know that? Or like serious voice actors, the ones making the most money, are full union members. Or like, uh, people are not making any money on online casting sites. Or direct marketing is really the way to go. If you're direct marketing, you definitely are earning more than people who don't do direct marketing. You know, you need to just make all your money from your agents. Or like, the top earners are doing a little bit of everything, right? No one had actual data on any of this. so. I decided with the team at Voice Actors of NYC to put together a survey to ask people some of these questions. And we had 1,244 responses. Um, the survey was given in English and in Spanish, uh, and the results are pretty awesome. We are putting it together on our Voice Actors of NYC website, uh, and that will be ready hopefully in the next couple of weeks to share with everyone the goal is for anyone to be able to take that information and present it to the union, present it in a class, just use it how, if they want to do a, um, a podcast episode about it or write a blog about it. However they want to use that information or just use it for their own personal brain, um, that's all fine. And that's what we are. We're just hoping that it will help give us a clear picture of what the voiceover industry looks like today.
0: And thank you for doing that. I, I filled it out. I think you posted it and I was like, I'm filling this out now. I love that you kind of, again, that seems to be a, a theme for you is like, no one's doing this. I'll do it. <laughs> and I love that you did that and and that you got so many diverse responses because it's it is important, especially now as we move from COVID times, like how has the business shifted? The business has shifted, started shifting years ago with the sort of invention of home studios or the the need for a home studio and more work going non-union and i think it's all fueled itself in a way yeah and now yeah it's going to be so interesting to see i know you posted some of the preliminary stuff and it was fascinating that like this amount of people are working from home and making this amount of money or in this genre
1: yeah so one of the most Interesting things to me about these survey results is people had the uh, opportunity to choose whether they were beginner, intermediate or pro, what level they considered themselves, and over 50% of people said that they were pros, which I found very interesting. But then when you look at the income, 48% of people make less than $8,000 a year. Really? So about 52% of people make more than $8,000 a year. So 52% of people designated themselves as pros and 52% of people make more than $8,000 a year. But $8,000 a year is not that much money. Only 25% of people make more than $40,000 a year. Hmm. And $40,000 to me is like about, you know, full-time income that you would make from a, an entry-level job. So Only 25% of voice actors who filled out this survey are earning more than $40,000 a year in voiceover. Very interesting. Is there
0: a a category of who's earning over $100,000?
1: Yes. Um, I can tell you that, let's see. So about 20% of people earn more than $75,000 a year. Hmm. And then it goes all the way up to $500,000 plus.
0: Who's earning $500,000 plus? Tell us your
1: secrets. (laughs) I I mean, at least seven people out of out of twelve hundred forty
0: four. Oh, my gosh. We need to find out who they are so we can have them on the show so they can tell us their secrets.
1: We did not collect any identifying information from people and we are not publishing any individual results. But we will have on our website. You'll be able to see the survey a few different ways. You'll, You'll be able to see the survey. Um, just the beginners, just the intermediates, and just the pros. So you can look at all the people who who self-identified as pro. Every single question, you can see what all the pros answered. We're also doing that for union, non-union, and FICOR slash right-to-work state because those two designations mean you do both union and non-union work. And then the last category is top earners. So you'll be able to view the entire survey for people making more than $250,000 a year.
0: Oh, so interesting. I really can't wait. I, I wouldn't say I'm a data nerd, but I do love things like this and kind of like looking at, at where things fall because I find it so fascinating, especially because in voiceover, it's really hard to know what people are making. I assume that if you are like the star of a network, you know, television show, you're probably making a great salary. I have no idea what the actual numbers are, but I assume. But because voiceover is so much more anonymous and you can be doing like you could record twenty five, three hundred dollar jobs today. I have no idea. So it's really it's going to be interesting to see those those actual hard numbers.
1: Yeah, I actually haven't seen all of the breakdowns yet, and I'm very excited to see
0: well, thank you for for doing that. That's, uh, I think, that's valuable data that that we need to have moving forward.
1: Yeah, my kind of mantra in life is authenticity and transparency. I think in this business and and just in life in general, the more authentic and transparent we can all be, the better the world will be. In my opinion, people get so worried about talking about their process or talk because they don't want people to steal their ideas, right? Or talking about money um, or talking about what they got paid for that last job or their union status or whether or not they do non-union work under the table or whatever it happens to be. But if we all actually knew what was going on and that there are people making over $500,000 a year, right? And there are more than five of them, (laughs) answered this survey right like and what are those people doing to make that happen the more transparent and authentic we can be I think the better the industry will be as a whole and the better the world will be as a whole
0: well, I think that is a, a perfect note to end on. I think that that sums up everything so beautifully. So thank you so much for being here and for sharing all of the, your, your tips and tricks and all that information. We, we can't wait to see. Actually, maybe by the time this episode airs, the data will be available to view.
1: Yeah, it will be available on com. Excellent. Well, thanks for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Wow. That was jam-packed with so much incredible information. I want to take a moment to thank Karin for always being willing to speak so openly and calmly about topics in this industry that tend to get heated quickly. I know these are hot-button topics and people feel really, really passionate about them, but I also think it's so important that everyone understands the facts so they can make informed decisions, and I appreciate her desire for authenticity and transparency. If you'd like to learn more about Karin, I'm linking her website and socials in the show notes, which you can find at my website, slash podcast. I'll also put the link to evocation, so if you'd like to purchase tickets, you can. I'm looking forward to it and I hope to see you there. Thanks so much for listening, and here's a little preview of next week's episode. Honestly, being kind is the key. You can be talented and be a terror to work with, and you'll never get as far as you want to get. That's next time on Making It to the Mic.